Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning. We lift these prayers up to you. Lord, as some of our people are pouring out their personal needs, their hurts, their pain, Lord, we know that you are the great physician. You hear these prayers. And Father, we're asking that you would respond and work in their lives. Heal where it's needed, Lord. Restore, comfort, encourage, whatever's needed. Father, I pray now that as we look into your word, that you would open it up to us and through the word and the spirit of God, that you would apply this to our hearts and to our lives, that we might see where we need to change and that, Father, have the boldness and the courage to do so. Lord, help us to become better at this subject of prayer. And Father, I pray that we would be found faithful in regard to our prayer life. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated, if you would. You know, for those of you that might be visiting, we are in a in the middle of a series on prayer. And we've been at this for a few weeks now, and we'll probably be at it for a few more. But today what I want to talk to you about is the subject of why it is that God doesn't seem to answer some prayers. And I think that probably all of us at one point or another in our lives have prayed and asked God for something and nothing seemed to happen. And with that comes a lot of uh, questions and doubts. And some of us have just concluded that there's something wrong with us or we've concluded that there's something wrong with God and concluded that God doesn't answer prayer. And neither of those are true, and we need to talk about that and have an open and honest dialogue. Well, not really a dialogue, but a monologue, if you will, um, of of just looking and seeing why it is that that is the case. Um, you know, we find in Scripture it talks about prayer and asking and receiving and God encouraging us to come to Him boldly and before the throne of grace and so forth. And that is true, and many times, you know, God encouraged through the Bible that people would understand they have the right to do that, encourage them to come, because so many of us don't come because for one reason or another. But there's also the other side of this that we need to discuss, and that is that God in His Word, and this is where we've got to look to now, God in His Word has given, if you will, some qualifications, some stipulations, things that stand in the way of answered prayer that we need to discuss. There's a quote that I want to read to you, and I think, and I I read this, and they were quoting it from somebody else, and I think Chuck Swindoll may have written this years ago. I'm not sure, but let me read it to you in regard to prayer. It says here that if the request is wrong, then God says no. If the timing is wrong, then God says go slow. If you are wrong, then God says you need to grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, then God says go. And if you think of that in regard to prayer, I think that it's a good way of looking at it because there are times when God says no. There are times when God says just slow down, let me do some things here. Today what I want to do is talk about this subject of unanswered prayer But I want to focus on these three things and use this as an outline. There are times when the requests are wrong, so we're going to talk about that first. There are some times when the timing is wrong and when God is saying, not yet. No, that's not what I'm doing. And then there are times when we need to take a long look at our way of living and our lifestyle. 
because that is the problem with our prayers at times. So use that as an outline as we look at these three things in regard to answering this question. You know, that is why is it that God seemingly doesn't answer prayer sometimes? And so let's try to get a handle on this, if you will. Number one, let's jump right in here. The number one reason mentioned here in this little quote, why is it that God doesn't answer prayer? Because of inappropriate requests. Inappropriate requests. In other words, God says, no, not that. I'm not answering that one. Now, we don't like to think of that because we think we like to think of God as just a genie in a bottle. And sometimes this is what we do to God. We put him in a bottle and say, well, if we rub it the right way, say the right words and so forth, then God has to respond. And I've heard preachers even preach that. You know, if you pray in in this certain format, in this certain way, God is bound to answer you. He has to answer you. Well, you know, read the Bible because it's not necessarily the case. And there are times when God says no. Now, let me start by showing you some scripture. And we're going to be looking at some scripture today because these situations are right out of the Bible, and I want you to understand that. This is not me making this stuff up here, okay? Um, so this is the re- some of the reasons why God does not seemingly answer prayer. The first one is seen here in um, the inappropriate request that Peter, James, and John made, especially Peter, on the day of the transfiguration. Now, you, some of you may not know what that is. Jesus took Peter, James, and John as three disciples of his inner circle, up on a high mountain, and according to the scripture, he transfigured himself. The the Bible says that he glowed. He showed them his majesty. His majesty was clothed in the human body, but he showed them his majesty. And there that day, the Bible tells us that um, Moses and Elijah appeared with him. So just imagine this. This is a phenomenal Uh, event. But it says here in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then in parentheses in my Bible, it says he did not know what he was saying. And the answer basically was no. As soon as he said that, the Bible says that the cloud came and engulfed Elijah and Moses, they disappeared and the party was over. What was the problem? Well, Jesus had a ministry. He had a plan. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross and pay for the sins of men. I've got to go down and we did a lot more ministering to take place. What did Peter want? Peter wanted to build three tabernacles or three little shelters, one for each of you. Let's just sit here and bask in the glory. Let's just sit here and worship, which is okay But that wasn't what God wanted to do. It certainly wasn't the plan of Jesus. And this is why he said, basically, no, your request, what you've asked me for, even though it's not officially prayer, he's right there with them. The request is no, no way we're not doing that. And so they didn't. Here's another one. And as you, well, before you, as you think about that, what was inappropriate about the request? And it appears that what was inappropriate about it was that it was very selfish. Let us sit up here and just bask in the glory of God. And as far as the rest of the world, they can go to hell, literally. Because I'd rather be here with Jesus than to go down there and minister. And God said to them, basically, no, that's not the plan. So here's the request, and the answer is no. It was inappropriate. Here's another inappropriate request that was made uh, by the disciples. 
It says in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 37. Now watch this, okay? Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Now that's a request, isn't it? We do the same thing. We go to the Lord. Now, Lord, I want you to do this for me. You told me you would, so, you know, doesn't matter what it is, you have to do it. And in verse 36, here's what he said. He said, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, when you get into the kingdom, then one of us here and one of us there, places of prominence. And the answer was very quick and clear, no, no. It's not for you or me to decide that. It's not going to happen. So two situations where legitimate requests are made, it might seem even very spiritual in a sense. I want to hear, be here with you, Lord. I don't want to go down and minister. Let's just build some tents here and camp out. Or, Lord, let me sit at your right hand. Uh, those are good requests. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with them on the surface. But according to what Jesus said, he said, no way. They're inappropriate. They're not right for what you're asking. Why were they asking this? Well, basically out of pride. See, pride was what motivated them, motivated them to ask for that. And he's saying to them, no. Now, you need to understand something, okay? Now, listen very carefully. When it comes to prayer, our motives are so very important. We come to God asking for things that we think are legitimate, things that, you know, we're being honest and and this is something that God should do. God looks at the heart and says to us, no, there are some changes that need to be made here. Now look at this verse in James chapter 4, verse 3. It's a key verse. James says this. He says, when you ask, you do not receive. Now watch. Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now that's very crystal clear. Okay, you're going to ask for things, and there are going to be times when God says flat out, no way. And here's the reason why. Because in your heart, your motives are wrong. And what you're wanting God to do is not what God wants to happen in your heart. Now, the request itself may not be that bad. Uh, You know, it may seem good on the surface. But you and I have got to begin to look at our hearts and question, why do I want that? Am I being selfish? Am I being materialistic? Am I being prideful? Am I just self-righteous? I'm not asking for a show of hands here, okay? But how many have ever bought a lottery ticket and prayed and prayed and prayed that you'd hit the numbers? Okay, somebody raises their hand. That's all right. Go ahead. Be bold. That's all right. But you know what? Why? You know, we promised God, Lord, if you just let me get this money, I'll, I'll give half of it to the church and to missions and all these things. Gets closer to the time for the numbers. Lord, let me get this money and I'll give 25% of it to the church. <laughs> you know, that's the way we think. And we, we ask God to do that. And why? What's the motivation? Greed? Who needs a billion dollars, you know? We ask God for bigger houses. We pray, Lord, help us to get this bigger house. Why? Why do you need a bigger house? Lord, I want a bigger car. What's your motivation? Do you just want to to impress the neighbors? Is that what you're after? Why do you want this? Is it a need? Lord, build my business bigger. 
Why? If you get right down and dig deeper, it might be because you want everybody to marvel at the success you've had and how good you are. Lord, give us a bigger church. Why? So that you can look down on other churches? Sometimes that's the reason. That's the reason why we ask God for bigger churches. Give me a bigger Sunday school class, Lord, so that everybody can know what a good teacher I am. Lord, I pray for my children that they'll be successful so everybody will know what a good parent I've been. Lord, don't let my kids get off into drugs because what will the neighbors think? You know, there's all kind of reasons why we pray for the things we pray for and the motivation behind it is wrong. And this is the reason why so often God just says no. You know, we've got to stop and we've got to ask ourselves, am I genuinely interested in God's glory in this life of mine, or am I interested in my own glory? Am I wanting the recognition for myself? Well, you know, the, the um, Lord's Prayer that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, Jesus set the model. He said, look, when you pray, you ought to be acknowledging and asking and expecting for God to do what God wants to do. His will, his kingdom are first and foremost. And what you and I want are secondary. When I pray to God, am I praying contrary to the things that God wants to accomplish in my life, in the church, in the community? A lot of us do. See, we just are very selfish in the way we pray. And whenever things like that happen... God basically says, no, I'm not doing that. And there's no beating around the bush. It just doesn't happen. And you and I need to stop and begin to examine our motives. What is it that we really are wanting? Why do we pray this prayer? And this will be a good exercise. Whenever you sit down to pray, maybe you write down a list of things you want to pray for. Why am I praying for that? Am I genuinely trying to lift up and enlarge and Bring glory to God and his kingdom? Or is it something more selfish in mind? Um, it's just a good exercise. But there's one reason given here, the inappropriate requests, as to why God doesn't answer all of our prayers. There are times when we're inappropriate in the way in which we pray because we're asking for things with wrong motives. Now here's the second one. Not just that the requests are wrong, but maybe the timing is wrong. Now, this is important that you understand this. It's not so much that your request is wrong, but it's the fact that God is saying, I'm not going to do that right now. Maybe later, maybe not. But the reason I'm not doing it is because of what I'm trying to accomplish here that you have no idea of. The timing for what you're wanting me to do is not in line with what I'm trying to accomplish. And it may be that God is trying to accomplish something for that uh, or in your life or something. All right, so some possible reasons why God would delay or say no. What is it about the timing? All right, now listen to this carefully, okay? It may be that God is saying no to you, or not yet at least, because he's trying to test your faith. Hmm. To test your faith. You see, God knows your faith. God knows how much you trust Him. God knows exactly whether you believe that He can handle that problem. But what God wants is for you to recognize that. God wants it brought out into the open. God wants you to admit 
confess and deal with your lack of faith. Now, let me give you an example. You all know the story of King Saul uh, in the in the Old Testament. He was David's predecessor. He was the king before David was. Saul had some problems, and this was one of his big ones here. But there was a, a time in Saul's life where he was going out leading the armies of Israel into battle against the Philistines. And, and Samuel the prophet had told him, now this is what God says, Saul, whenever you get ready to go to battle, and he'd done it before, I will come, not you, but me, I the prophet will come and offer up a sacrifice in praise to God and blessings upon your army and your success for that day. And then you go out into battle and God will be with you. Now, in this particular situation, Samuel had told Saul, he said, you go down, get ready for the battle, and I will be there within seven days to offer the sacrifice. But wait for me to do it. Seventh day comes. The Bible tells us that the Israelites were watching as the Philistine army gathered larger and larger and larger, and it says that they were quaking with fear, the Bible says. They looked at the army. Some of them were even deserting. They were leaving because they were scared to death. Now, here's what Saul did. Saul looked at this. He looked at the situation. He looked at the fact that Samuel wasn't there yet. This is the seventh day. He told me he would be here. I'm going to do the sacrifice. And so he did. He goes and he offers the sacrifice and prays for God's blessings. And as soon as he's finished, Samuel comes on the scene. And Samuel finds out what he's done. And I want you to notice now what he says to King Saul when he gets there. It's in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. He says to Saul, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Now watch this part of it. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, don't miss this, okay? Saul, he says, you blew it. God said to wait seven days before I came. I told you that in order to test your faith. Had you waited, had you been obedient, had you had enough faith in God that God would take care of this, and not jumped the gun like you did, then God would have established Saul's kingdom, his lineage, over Israel from now on. Now, as you know, history, instead David came on the scene. Because Saul had a faith problem. And in this particular situation, this is the reason that God waited seven days. This is the reason God waited till the 11th hour before he brings Samuel on the scene to prepare him for battle because he wanted to test the faith of Saul. Show me what you're made of, man. Show me your faith. Do you believe I can take care of you? Do you believe I'm going to get there in the nick of time? Do you believe that the armies of Israel are going to go out there and win? Just trust me, man. Just do what I tell you to do. And Saul didn't. And guys, let me tell you something. There are times when God delays when you and I pray earnestly with our hearts laid bare before God, Oh God, do this. Give me this. Lord, come to my rescue. And God waits. God doesn't come. It's not that it's a bad request. It's not that it's inappropriate. It's that God is trying to do something. God is trying to test your faith. He wants you to see. Okay, let's show you. Let me show you where your faith is lacking. And He wants us to come face to face with that reality. 
To test our faith is a reason why God delays in answering your prayer. Now, here's another reason as far as the timing goes, and that is to grow your faith. Now, these are two different things. We're going to test it to see what it's made of. I already know what it's made of. Now I'm going to grow it. Now I'm going to strengthen it. And what better example of that than the story of of Lazarus? Here was Lazarus, this man that Jesus dearly loved, had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus spent so much time at their homes. And there was such a love relationship between him and his family. It was unreal. And there was a time when Jesus was off working in ministry in another town, and Lazarus was near death. He was deathly sick. They even send word to Jesus that he's sick. He's near death. He needs you. He needs you to come and touch him. He needs you to make him well. And so this is the response in John chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus says this. When, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, now wait a minute. He died. But you see, Jesus was looking at the end. He said, this is what I'm going to do. This sickness will not end in death. He's going to die, and Jesus knew that. But the reason why I'm not going and running over there right now is because I want to glorify myself. I want people to understand who I am. I'm going to work a miracle here, and I'm not going to answer their requests until I decide to. It's all about timing, what God was doing. And in this particular instance... God says, I'm going to do something that's going to bring honor and glory to me, so you're going to have to wait. Boy, we struggle with this, don't we? As Christians, we struggle. I don't care about the glory of God. You know, I don't care what God's trying to do. I want what I want. My kid is sick. My mother's dying. My, my job's falling apart. I want what I want, and I want it now, and God, you ought to give it to me. And God says, no, you're going to wait because I'm doing something. The story goes on. The disciples say, well, okay, Jesus, two days later now, Lazarus has died. He decides to go. And so they're getting ready to go, and the, the disciples are questioning him. And he says in verse 14 of John 11, So then he told them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. Now, Jesus knew that. He said, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, there's the other part of this. Jesus says, I waited not only to glorify myself, but for you, my disciples, to grow in your faith. In other words, your faith needs to be strengthened. And I'm not going to jump in there and answer this. I'm not going to jump in there and do this because I want you to see something. So they go on and they say, when they said, Bible says that when they get closer to the town, that Martha comes running out to greet him. Lazarus has been dead now for four days. The body is already decaying. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus talking to Martha, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And here's the question. Martha, do you believe this? 
You know what? She really didn't. Do you believe this? I've told you this. I'm the resurrection and the life. You think that because your brother died that it's too late. I want to show you it's not. I'm going to work a miracle here, and I'm going to show all of you. You're going to see the glory of God, and your faith is going to be strengthened. And I'm not going to jump at your request until I'm ready because I want to do something first. Now, guys, let me tell you something. This so many times is what happens with us. God wants to either test our faith or strengthen our faith. And we pray, and we pray faithfully for a week. Nothing happens, so we lose heart and we quit. And what God's trying to do is to show us something, because I've got to tell you, when pain comes along, when suffering comes along, when heartache and grief and discouragement and all of these things come into our lives, This is the time when God shows us things and our faith can be strengthened like no other time. We cannot grow in our faith without those terrible things. If all we did was sit in here and pray and God give us everything that we wanted, when we wanted it, we would never trust Him. And it's when God says, no, I want you to wait a while, I'm doing something, that we have to begin to wait and our faith is strengthened. And we see the end product, we see what God does. Guys, this is hard. I'm right in there with you. And this, to me, as I have struggled with prayer over the years, understanding this, um, I know the doubts. I know the fears. I know the heartache. But in the end, I learn to trust Him. I learn to trust Him. Faith grows. And you and I have got to be okay with that. And even if we're not, God's still going to do it anyway. So we may as well learn to be okay with it. You know, if we had our way, we would avoid pain. We would avoid it altogether. When we go to the Lord in prayer, that's what we're trying to do. God, don't prevent me from going through this suffering, Lord. I don't want to have any pain. And God wants you to understand, listen, there are times when you've got to go through it. And you've got to experience it. And in the end, maybe God's going to do more than we ever thought or asked. But we have to go through that to discover that. So the first two reasons, maybe maybe the request is inappropriate, or maybe God wants to do something and he's saying, not now. But there are two legitimate reasons why there are times in our life when, when prayer isn't answered the way we want it to be. Now there's the third and the final one. The reason why, and I believe probably more often than we're willing to admit, as to why our prayers are not answered is because of our sinful behavior. And this one is hard. This one is hard for us to admit. But yet the Bible teaches this. Look with me for in a couple of Old Testament passages that are very good. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He will not hear me? Well, it's just a poetic way of saying he's not going to respond. Your sins have caused him not to respond. Listen to this one in Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, this is talking about those secret sins that nobody knows about. 
The things that are in your heart that you're not willing to deal with and not willing to correct, they just keep on going. And he's saying to you and me, listen, if I have this cherished sin in my heart, then God doesn't listen. God's not responding is what he's saying. This is a hard one to understand, a hard one to accept or believe because we think sometimes, well, we're not as bad as the other person, and that may be true, but you're not as good as God's trying to build you to become. God is working on you and me to change us and to grow us. And there are times in life when God wants things that are in our lives to not be there. And we come to God and pray, and God says to us, change this. Then we'll talk. Change it. And guys, i got to tell you, I think more often than we realize, this is probably the problem with a lot of our prayers. Let me show you some passages where it talks about specific things in regard to sinful acts that prevent our prayers from being answered, okay? This one has to do with marriage. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to it. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now watch this. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, now, it specifically says right there, my prayers will be hindered. God will say, I'm not doing this because of the way you treat your spouse. Whoa. I thought I could abuse the old girl and it wouldn't matter. You mean it matters to God how I talk to her and how I treat her? And i got to say, it probably works both ways. It's just as he's talking about the man's responsibility here. But in marriage, if we don't respect our partner, treat them with respect, honor the way we talk to them, the way we treat them, the way we love them, then God says, no, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then don't expect me to respond until you get this straightened out. And we don't like to hear that. But nonetheless, it's true. There's another one here where it talks about forgiveness and the importance of it. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says this. Jesus is talking and he says, And when you stand praying, now watch this, you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that, there's a reason, your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. All right, so I'm standing praying, either at home, you know, or privately or in church. And I'm saying, oh, God, give me this and bless me here. And and Lord, watch over me here and all these other things. And God says, wait a minute. What about this situation between you and old so-and-so over there? Why haven't you forgiven them? Why are you still harboring bitterness in your heart? And you may have a good reason, a good answer. God says, I don't care. Go forgive them. And so you've got to deal with this problem. You've got to deal with this sinful behavior before God is going to hear and answer the prayer. That's the connection. My actions prevent God from answering. Listen to this one. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to this one. Verses 23 through 24. This is a little bit different. Now listen carefully. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar 
And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now this is a person who's gone into the temple to worship. They bring a sacrifice to God. And while they're there, the Spirit of God reminds them, you know what? Oh, so-and-so's mad at you because of what you did to him. You cheated this man or you said something about him or whatever. You did something. He has something against you and you're aware of it. You know what you did. You're the one at fault here. He says, before you bring me this gift, before you come to worship me, and you could just as easily put prayer in there, before you come into my presence, you go get this straightened out, then come back. So, What we're talking about here, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about problems in our life that stand in the way of God responding to me. And guys, you and I have got to see this. We've got to understand this. And we need to examine our relationships. We need to examine who we hurt and who has hurt us that we haven't forgiven. And we need to deal with these things. Now, here's one other one, one last one here in regard to lifestyle and sinful behavior. And it has to do with ignoring the needs of people around us. Now, here's a reason it's given in Scripture as to why God doesn't respond. Now, watch this. In Proverbs 21:13, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. I ignore the cries of the poor. God is saying to you and me, listen, you've, you know, I've taken care of you. I've blessed you. And there are those around you that are in need and you continuously ignore them. And yet you come to me and you cry out to me with your needs. And you'll not be answered. What I do with my money the way that I handle it, the way that I give back, the way that I help others. It says the same thing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Watch this one. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In other words, he's saying to you and me, look, what you do with your money And the giving back, the helping the poor or the ministry or furthering the kingdom of God, if you give sparingly, then, you know, don't expect much from me. If you give generously, then I'll pour out the windows of heaven on you. How many of us at times come and say, oh, God, give me more, give me more. And God says, what have you done with what I've given you? What did you do with what I gave you? But Lord, it wasn't that much, but it was something. It was something. And you hoarded it on yourself and did nothing with it. Why would I give you more? Listen to this verse. It's in Malachi. This is the last one in what I'm talking about here. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is an Old Testament verse, but it has application. Now listen to it. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now watch this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out 
so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay, so how do we make application to us today? Look, he's talking about corporate giving. He's talking about supporting ministry. In, the, in this particular text, he's talking about the temple in the Old Testament worship system and supporting it. We could ap- apply something similar to the church. And God would be saying to you and me, wait a minute, what have you done with the money that I've given you? Bring it in, use it to further the ministry, be generous, and watch and see if I don't open up heaven and pour out blessings on you. When you come to me and ask, when you come to me in prayer, I will respond. All right, Cliff, somebody else is different than you is over talking But, you know, this is a true statement, and this is something that we don't like to think about. And we're so often coming before God and saying, Lord, give me, give me, give me. And God's saying, no, 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 because you do nothing with what I've given you already. You care nothing about the kingdom of God. You care nothing about the poor and helping them. And, folks, let me tell you something. This is a big one. You know, if we go through this and we talk about sinful behavior, whether it be hidden sins, broken relationships, or what we do with our money, but they're important And in the Bible we've seen, they have a direct bearing on our prayer life. And we've got to understand that. And we've got to acknowledge that. But what happens when the request is right? This is important. Watch this. What happens when the request is right, when the timing is right, and when my life is right? What happens then? One of the best verses, listen to this. It's in John chapter 15. It's in verse 7. John says this. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Because now he's drawing a parallel here, okay? These are all the things that are wrong that need to be dealt with. But let me tell you something. If you're walking with me and my word is in you and you're being obedient and you're seeking me, he said, then you can come and ask. And watch what I do. Watch what I do. Guys, let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart that God wants to do miraculous things. I believe that God wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour out on every one of us. But the biggest problem is us. It just is. It's either the way we ask and things we ask for being selfish. You know, it's, it's the timing is all wrong. We're not, we're not open to letting God be God and let God work in our lives and change us. Or let's think in old sin. The things that we think don't matter really do matter. And God is saying to each one of us, now get your life straight. Let me bless you because that's what I want. Listen, don't close the windows of heaven. That's what we're doing. We are closing the windows of God's blessing. And I believe with all my heart, God wants to bless us. He really does. We need to examine ourselves. Each one of us needs to take a look and say, okay, every time I go to the Lord in prayer, ask, ask yourself this. Why am I praying this? What's my motivation? And what is it in my life that I need to change? And am I willing to wait on God? Am I willing to wait? Those are so important. If you do those things, I believe that you'll begin to discover there are things that you can change that's going to alter your prayer life. It's going to alter the way God responds. That's what I want. I would love for every one of us, starting with me, to examine ourselves that way and that our prayers would change, that our lives would change. 
that we would get out of the way and let God bless us. I really do. Now, maybe you're here this morning. And if I were to ask you this question, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Now, just listen quietly. Don't shuffle papers, okay? We're not leaving yet. Not till I pray. So just sit there. You guys always do this to me. I go into this part of the service. Oh, sermon's over. Closing that Bible, making that noise. Just sit quietly, okay? There may be one here this morning who doesn't know that. And I'm asking you that. I said, you know, if, if you died, what would happen to you? That's an honest question. It deserves an honest answer. What would happen to you? If you're saying to yourself, I don't know, I'm not sure, or I hope, or whatever, then chances are you're lost. Because you know something? Salvation, as is portrayed in the Bible, salvation is knowing. Salvation is being sure. It's not because of who you are or not because of what you do, but it's being sure because of what he did. See, I know what he did, therefore I'm sure I have faith. I have confidence. Listen to this verse and then we'll be closing up, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and here's what he says. He says that God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you need to understand this, okay? Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth. He had no sin. He lived a human life for 33 years and never sinned. And yet when he went to the cross, the Bible says that God the Father took your guilt, your your guilt, your pain, your suffering, everything that should be yours, God says, I'm taking it and I'm laying it on him. He's going to become sin for you. So that when he dies and is resurrected, you put your faith in him and believe that he did that for you. And God says as a free gift, I give you forgiveness and eternal life because of what he did for you. You're putting your faith in him as your substitute, your savior. And once you do that, the Bible says that God takes you and he places you in Christ. It's like every time God sees you, he sees his son. And it says right there in that verse that in him, when I believe, is what it says, in him, I have the righteousness of God. doesn't mean that I necessarily live that way. I'm a human being. But it's saying that God has declared it to be so. God says basically it's like this. If this was you and all of your filthy sin, I now see you through Christ. And I don't hold your sin against you. This is what salvation is. It's a gift. That's grace. And either we accept it that way or we don't get it. It's just that simple. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, if you will. And if you're here this morning and you don't understand that, never have understood it, but God is speaking to you right now. He's convicting you and he's saying to you, you need to listen. Because if you died right now, you'd be lost. Then right now, right there where you sit, just put your trust in him. You're accepting something is true. You're believing it. You're accepting it. That's what faith is. Will you do that right there where you sit? Let me lead you in a prayer. The prayer is not going to save you, but hopefully it reflects what's in your heart. It goes like this. You can just follow along there in your seat. 
God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my life has shamed you. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And right now I put my faith in Him to save me. Thank you, Father, for loving me that much. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's promise. And God doesn't care how sinful you are. He pays for it all. Now, I'm not going to have you come forward. I just want to know who you are, and I want to include you in my prayer as I close this service. So I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up and put it back down and say, Pastor, you can pray for me because right now I'm choosing to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone at all. Pastor, you can pray for me. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. And you. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence, Father, we're humbled by the reality of what you've done for us. We're humbled by your grace. Father, I pray for these that have come today, that have put their faith in you, that have acknowledged that. Lord, I pray now for them to grow. Lord, I pray that you would teach them about your love and teach them about what it means to trust you day by day. And that, Father, their lives can change. That is my prayer, that you would change them forever. Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that you'd help us to become better at prayer. Father, not just the doing of it, but the understanding in realizing that, Father, there are things that stand in the way. May that change in all of our lives. May we become the faithful servants of God that you want us to be. And, Father, may we see and experience the windows of heaven open up and the blessings fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before Ronnie comes...